This episode of Chicago's Bravest Stories is brought to you by Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. I'm here with Dahlia Fami, owner of Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy, where they specialize in rehabilitation of police and fire. Hi, Dahlia. Hi, Vince. How are you? Thanks for having me back. So what do or what can our members do to come in and see you guys? Really easy, Vince. They just call us up and make an appointment. So, and I can guarantee they won't be disappointed. And usually people definitely learn a lot about their bodies while they come see us. Uh, Sports and Ortho is a private practice specializing in the care of police and fire members. You can look them up at sportsandortho.net. Call them to make an appointment. Dahlia, thanks again for being here. One last question for you. What if it's a work injury? That's a good question. So you can still ask for us. We're part of the City of Chicago Workers' Compensation Network. So there should be no issues if we are requested. Thanks, Dahlia, for being here and educating us about the importance of prevention. Always a pleasure, Vince. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody, to Chicago's Bravest Stories podcast. My name's Steve, your co-host. I'm with uh, the beautiful Vince Zittman. Hello. Vince, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> I'm glad to have you in the studio again. So we have two uh, new friends of ours from the Shield 23 Foundation. I got Ryan. Hi there, everybody. And his mom, Shannon. Correct. Yes. Hello. How, how many guys? times do you get called Shannon? Every time. Every time? So okay. now I just say it rhymes with Lennon. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Very good. And so uh, they drove in all the way from Gurney. Yep, that's right. Gurney, Illinois. Uh, how was the traffic? Actually, wasn't too bad. Yeah, it was only about, you know, 30, 40 minutes. You know, traffic was pretty light this morning. Very good. Very good. So uh, tell us, what is the 23 Shield Foundation or Shield 23 Foundation? I'm going to screw this up. He'll get it right. Yeah, He'll eventually. Oh, I get to start. Huh? Yeah, go ahead. Um, well, you get credit, though, for the origination. So we had talked about um, when we were going to create a foundation in honor of my late husband. And uh, Ryan was like, is it time yet? And this was in 2018. And uh, so we kind of put our heads together and created a family foundation, brought some friends on board. And so the Shield 23 Foundation was formed in March of 2018. And um, our goal is to raise funds for and gift funds to firefighters battling cancer in support of their families. And so this foundation was created in memory, you said, of your late husband. Yes. Who is your husband? So Russell Scott Constantino. Um, he uh, was born in 1963, and he didn't quite know what he wanted to do with his life, actually. We met in high school. I was 16. He was 18 and um, went to prom together the whole bit. And he wasn't quite sure what he wanted to do with his life after he graduated high school, did what we call a quarter life crisis. Um, yeah, had, he was all over the place. <laughs> he, was. he started in building construction, um, which actually came in handy later. Um, and then uh, he kind of did a what I call a sabbatical in Florida for about a year when I went off to college my freshman year in Michigan. And then he moved back um, to Waukegan. We both grew up in uh, in Waukegan, Illinois. And he kind of bummed around. He actually uh, was the manager of a men's clothing store for a while. Dug ditches, <laughs> did landscaping. <laughs> yeah, he was a jack of all trades. And then um, one day decided to go to paramedic school. And so he started doing that. And um, he started working for a contract company, Metro. 
and uh, eventually got hired in as a contract uh, paramedic with uh, Gurney Fire Department and then became uh, got hired on civil service in 1989. I think I have that right. Mm -hmm. And um, so he was a 20-year firefighter paramedic with Gurney. And, uh, and then things kind of took a turn in 20, 2007. Yes, June of 07. Um, I guess I should tell that story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One day uh, he got off a shift. I don't remember which shift it was or even what day, to be honest. But uh, I do remember uh, he got home from shift early that morning. And uh, my mom and my sister, I think my sister, would she have a cheerleading practice or something? Cheerleading practice. And uh, so you guys went off to go have a good time. Meanwhile, uh, my dad and I were hanging out downstairs watching some TV. Uh, and he happened to pass out in the chair next to me while uh, watching TV because he had a rough night. And uh, all of a sudden, he started having a grand mal seizure. And it was, to this day, probably one of the worst seizures I've ever seen, you know, foaming at the mouth and uh, bit his tongue pretty good. And he ended up going into, uh, as I know now, but status epilepticus, where he kept having multiple seizures in a row. Uh, but, you know, I was only, what, 12 or 9 or something around? Um, let's see, in 07? So you were... It was in June, so you were almost 12. Okay, so, yeah, I was, you know, pretty young. I ran to the other side of the room, and, you know, growing up, you know, your parents always teach you not to call 911, especially if you're, you know, in the fire service. <laughs> you know, that's the last thing you do. So I remember yelling across the, you know, the house, Dad, Dad, you know, you're freaking me out. You know, I'm calling 911. You better not be faking it type thing. And, uh, you know, at the time, I thought he was having pretty difficulty breathing, so I called 911, and they walked me through a bunch of stuff, and, we lived in Gurney at the time, so, you know, they took it upon themselves because they recognized the address, and they sent the whole department, which was amazing, and, you know, seeing familiar faces, you know, working on your dad, and it was, uh, you know, it was pretty heartfelt, you know, especially, you know, early in, you know, my life and eventually my career. This is the first time that anything like that has happened to your dad. He was perfectly healthy up until that point, never had an issue. I mean, he was a little overweight, <laughs> but no, that was, uh, that was basically it. Yeah. Uh, no real other health issues. And all of a sudden, boom, grand mal seizure in the middle of uh, the day. And, uh, he ended up being intubated in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. So, uh, it was a pretty big shock to all of us. Dang, I can't even, and the guys that responded to that run were fellow coworkers. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't even imagine like coming to that address, seeing your guy there and then having to go through take that run as far as intubating him and stuff like that. Yeah, I can't even imagine even today being a firefighter paramedic, you know, being having to intubate, you know, one of my best friends or yeah. somebody that I grew up in the fire service with, went to the fire academy with, paramedic school. What I was your dad's imagine. rank at that time? Uh, was he was he? a blue shirt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, it was, um, they actually kept a copy of the 911 call. And I, have you ever heard it? I have never heard it, no. I chose not to listen to it either, but your dad listened to <laughs> they it. They have the call that he, he yes, made? Yes, they kept oh. it. Oh. And my, yeah, your dad kept a copy. We have it on the computer, but I have not chosen to listen. Oh, really? I didn't, I didn't even know that. I do know that uh, apparently I did a really good job. A few people actually came up to me and said I had a future in uh, dispatch if I wanted it. <laughs> not so, me, though. Yeah. So, so what, uh, what was it like in, you know, I grew up, uh, my father was a fireman, but for those out there who uh, in podcast land listening, what's it like growing up as a little kid? Your dad's a fireman. H how did that make you feel? What was it like growing up? Oh, yeah, it was one of the coolest things ever. You know, Fourth of July parades and 
so uh, we have Gurney Days in Gurney, where it's like a week-long festival, right, and it's right around my birthday. So well, I was going to say, I have to say, yes, it's around his birthday, and so the day we brought him home from the hospital um, was Gurney Days weekend, and our first stop was at the firehouse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, typical fireman, you know, bringing yep. home their firstborn, you know, mm-hmm. got to show them off. Yep. So... But yeah, you know, it was one of the coolest things ever, you know, you know, being in the fire trucks, you know, with lights and sirens during the parade or on the 4th of July, just everybody coming together, really showing, you know, the brotherhood of the fire service. Everybody's has everybody's back. Uh, you know, there's no shortage of brothers and sisters, you know, every, you know, with other firefighters in the family and uh, going to parties and get togethers. It's, you know, it's the greatest thing ever. And when you're, when you're a little kid, like these guys are just like larger than life. Oh, absolutely. You know, like their personalities, the, and especially like, I don't know what it is, the way that they treat kids, you know, when the, when the kids are around, like, it's just, it's just so cool to, to see that. And I know growing up, you know, being around that, them taking me on fishing trips with the firemen and stuff like that. It's just like, it was so awesome. And these guys just had like this larger than life, personality they were super bonded you know it was it was great mm-hmm. one yeah. of my favorite photos is when ryan was about three and of course you know you dress up and you wear the shirts and everything and there's a photo of him and he has a t-shirt on because of course i always bought everything firefighter related right and so he has a t-shirt said i'm going to be a firefighter when i grow up and his dad is holding his helmet on his head and so the photos just your dad's hand holding his helmet on your head and so we have that. That's really cute. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got a, a, the exact same picture. I'm sure you do too, right? <laughs> Pretty classic. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell tell us more about the foundation and what it is that that you guys do, and uh, like how do you get funding and stuff like that? Walk us through that. So we are a board of seven, so we're five hundred one c three, and um, you know, we had to get everything organized and the infrastructure set up. Whose idea was it initially to do this? We were trying to figure out what made the most sense. Um, you know, the kids were, uh, f- let's see. Lauren, I, w- I was 14 and Lauren was, what, 10? 10. When, when their father passed away, it was a two and a half year fight. And um, I was self-employed and raising two kids and had a house to run and a business to run. And so we were in a bit of survival mode at the time. So we didn't really think about or worry about, you know, fundraising or foundations. But then as they got older um, and, you know, my priorities could shift a bit too, we talked about, you know, how do we honor your dad? What do we do with that? But we didn't know what like what was the cause, right? Like what could we attach to him? What had meaning? And then we actually um, met at the Five Roses Pub in Rosemont. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we, we were had just, a chat. Yeah, just we're just chatting, and, and uh, that's you know, where it all begins. Exactly. <laughs> just over a few drinks, and uh, we were chatting about yeah. it. And uh, I had a you know thought uh, when during the main fight with uh, you know my dad, uh, the Gurney Fire Department really came together and they threw this huge fundraiser at Key Lime Cove at the time. Um, you know, right by Six Flags. And uh, they ended up raising several thousand dollars for our family. And if it wasn't for that, we would have probably lost the house. We would have... It was a good five figures. You didn't know that number I at did the not time. know that <laughs> until now. But I will tell you that um, that made such an impression on me because I was literally writing checks off that account um, to keep things going. And um, 
Yeah, I remember when Ryan, you know, big ears, the little kids, they overhear stuff. And I remember him coming up to me at one point when his dad was still sick, and he said, are we going to lose the house? And I had to tell him, nope, we're not. But that was partly due to the, the fundraiser. Um, because as you guys know, firefighters don't just work well. Maybe that's changing now. But back in the day, <laughs> you, you didn't just work, you know, your department job. So you worked a lot of overtime. He worked second jobs. So there was a lot of extra income, of course, coming in. So once he got sick, we lost all that. And so um, it was it was, it was, was touch and go there for a while. But it was a, a very heartfelt thing to see the community come together and everybody do that for us and pull together. And, so. and, you, and, they, and they have to because – and things are changing now, but uh, – you know, back in the day, majority of the firemen were the breadwinners uh, for the family. And when something happened to them, whether it was uh, an accident, they get sick, line of duty, death, whatever it is, that breadwinner's not there anymore. You know, and with the twenty four forty eight schedule that you're working, a lot of times the the mothers are staying home, taking care of the kids. I don't know if that was your, your guys' situation, but you know um, that if somebody passes or somebody, you know, has this, has an accident or whatever, they're losing that income. They're losing health insurance. There's a whole lot of things that are going on uh, other than just, you know, the firefighter passing or having an accident or whatever it may be. And I, I was working. I'm a psychotherapist. Okay. And um, so we had a great routine. It was 24 on, 48 off. So I worked the days he didn't and vice versa. In fact, um, his sister is very much, she's four years younger, She's very much a planner, so she was still so she was eight when her dad was diagnosed. So um, she would ask every morning, "Okay, whose turn is it to be home?" Because they were used to us taking turns, <laughs> and um, so she was always on top of that. Ryan didn't care so much. <laughs> I'm the go with the flow type of guy. <laughs> That's Vince. Yeah. That's Vince. He's yeah. a go with the flow. But she type needed of guy. to know, like, okay, who, who's who's my boss today, right? Like, who, who's in charge? And um, but yeah, we. Um, because I was always on his health insurance. Um, when FMLA kicked in, um, this was, you know, going back to 2007, 2008. Um, so at that time, um, me and the kids were kicked off the health insurance plan so by the village. So he was on it because you're protected. You know, he kept his health insurance, but we could no longer be on the health plan. And so I had to ever since then, pay for my own health plan and for the kids. So there was a lot of different expenses and, and stresses. That, has that recently changed? No. No, it's still that way? Yes. Okay. That's that's a little thing people don't talk about too much. I'm happy to talk about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not to get all political, but um, but it's one of those things you don't think about. You know, and I was working, but because of the kind of job that I had, um, I didn't have health insurance. And so, um, so yeah, that was a big deal to have to go out and, and do that. And so there were a lot of expenses. And of course, I did have to cut back on my work hours, too, just because of circumstances and, and what was going on. So there's a lot of financial stress, which you don't expect, because it literally came out of the blue. I mean, Ryan's right. He was on the 911 side of things. But um, kind of the weird thing that happened, I mean, this is back in 2007. So we weren't all used to having our phones attached to our hip, right? <laughs> I had forgotten my cell phone at home that day. Oh, yeah. So I called you probably, I think it was like 15 Ev times. Everybody was calling, but um, so I didn't know what was going on. So I'm bringing my daughter home from practice 
and I pull onto the street, and you see all the rigs in front of your house. <laughs> yeah, the la- it, and it was, you know, it was uh, Gurney's. I think that's the second biggest uh, department in Lake County yeah. now. They run close to seventy five hundred calls, so <coughs> nowhere near as big as the city of Chicago, but it's pretty big in, yeah. um, you know, Lake County. And At first, I thought. Like something caught on fire, right? That's what you think of right. course. Oh God, you know what they do. And I pull up and the chief is standing on the front step and I was like, you know, you just kind of get that feeling like, I actually I thought something happened to Ryan, right? Cause you know, you're not thinking right. other stuff. And, um, and the ambulance was just leaving when I pulled up and uh, chief was like, okay, this is what happened. And the kids were still at the house. So got a hold of my parents so thankfully only live about 20 minutes away and they came to the house and I got in the car and drove to the hospital which in hindsight everybody later was like why did we let you drive yourself to the hospital <laughs> <laughs> yeah some some things changed after that that's yeah weird. yeah so what was your husband's final diagnosis what was the diagnosis um so that was an interesting journey though because they didn't know they didn't know like why the heck is a perfectly healthy guy who's 44 years old having grand mal seizure so but the thing that happened too um turned out it was in his left temporal lobe so he lost all speech so by the time i got to the hospital to find out what was going on he couldn't communicate nobody knew what was going on um they did a cat scan they tried to do some preliminary stuff um they even at one point brought in the cdc because they thought maybe he had some type of you know virus or bacteria or something they don't yeah because they don't know they didn't know, but um, eventually they figured out it was a tumor. Um, he had to um, have surgery to have that biopsied. Let's see if I can pronounce it correctly. Oligodendroglioma. Oh, the old oligodendrum. It <laughs> <laughs> um, just sounds nasty. It does. Yeah. You know, and, and I still tell this to people, you know, you, you hop on the internet first, right, to find out what the sure. hell is yeah. it which will scare the crap out of me. <laughs> I never did it again. Never looked it up again. It was like I was done. Um, but after that, he ended up having um, two brain surgeries, um, one where he was awake, and they had to, you know, poke around in there because it was affecting his speech center. Actually, you remember that story? Which part? Uh, so when he was awake in the brain surgery, they asked him, they had to ask him a bunch of different questions to determine whether or not they were going too deep, you know, cutting out the tumor. Well, they asked, he was a huge Miami Dolphins fan ever right. since the Dan Marino era. Okay. And he lived uh, in Florida for a year. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, back to, uh, he had his little quarter life crisis, moved down to Florida, did some landscaping with some buddies. Well, that was right during Dan Marino golden ages. So, uh, he moved back as a huge Miami Dolphin fan. Well, it was so much to the point where during his surgery, they were asking, uh, they were asking whether or not. Well, during the surgery, they were asking him uh, questions, you know, something that you'll never forget, something that, you know, we'll identify really quickly if we're going too deep. Well, he listed off the entire 53-man roster of the 1972 Dolphins. (laughs) (laughs) So you would remember that. I did not know that story. (laughs) That's a good cognitive test right there. (laughs) Well, they they have to do it while you're awake because they want you talking. Right. And, uh as Bears fans, that's tough for us to uh, yeah wrap our brains around when you guys are <laughs> Dolphin fans. Yeah, you know? perfect season. Yeah. <laughs> True. He, uh, he was obsessed. I still have some of that stuff at the house. Oh, yeah. Well, here's, here's the, was he able to do that prior to this? Was yeah. he able to list it out? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. just one of, yeah, yeah huge football nerd. Yeah. Made me a football nerd, but yeah. It definitely rubbed off. That's true. 
yeah, going forward from there, I, I mean, he continued to have seizures off and on, but every time that he did... Even after the surgery? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he had two brain surgeries, chemo, radiation. Um, it was a two and a half year long battle. Um, it, uh, you know, I think one of the hardest things was for him as, as a firefighter paramedic. Um, every time he would have a seizure, he would lose his speech. He would lose his ability to read. Um, this was also a tip back then. Again, this is 2008 by this time. Um, you know, internet banking, doing stuff online, which just really kind of starting. Well, he handled that stuff. So he lost and forgot all the passwords. Oh, my. So luckily I was on everything. That's also a really good thing. You know, you hear sometimes people don't think about this, but, you know, luckily I was co and joint on everything. And um, I had a call, you know, the credit union proved it was me in order to get access to the to the bank account. So um, good tip. I remember calling around to my friend saying, write the damn password down. <laughs> yeah. And another reason we wanted to uh, start this foundation to, uh, you know, not only do we gift funds for firefighters, but we also try and figure out transportation because that was another thing with uh, my dad was yeah. he was having these seizures, losing his ability to speak. and you know. So his driving privileges were taken away by the, the, the neurologist. Um, you know, and, and Russ was second-generation Italian, and so um, everything you could kind of imagine that goes with that personality fits. <laughs> 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 and uh, he... You know, he had his own sense of pride and, and losing the ability to drive. Um, and later on, as things got worse and the tumor started to spread, um, couldn't read. Um, again, his little sister, um, awesome reader. She was always a bookworm. You know, at nine years old, she was reading, you know, because every week I would have to fill up the little med baggies, you know, and label them the day of the week and the time because he couldn't read them. So here's this paramedic who's relying on his nine-year-old daughter to read the med packets while I'm at work. <laughs> it, it, it was rough. <laughs> you got to make it work, though. And, and they did. And she actually had, she'll kill me for saying this, she had a speech delay when she was little. Um, he ended up going to speech classes for a while as well, and she would go with him and help him with his homework. Now, your daughter is also a first responder, correct? She is. So... Uh, yeah, so she wanted to be a police officer for the longest time. Uh, she was a police explorer when she was, what, 14? Yeah. Uh, she worked with the county. She worked with uh, Gurney Police Department. Uh, she eventually went on to um, Indiana University. Uh, she started studied criminal justice. and She's a double major, criminal justice and international studies. She just graduated over Mother's Day. Um, but she also... Um, uh, Signed on with ROTC, so she just commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Army. Oh, okay. Uh, over Mother's Day as well, and um, so she's with the National Guard. Um, so she's kind of put the police officer path on the back burner right now. She's pursuing some other things, but her significant other is a police officer down there in Indiana and um, in his hometown. So, yeah, we kind of are surrounded by blue uniforms. The two of them used to tease each other over, you know, a little rivalry between, you know, the cops and the firefighters. So. Oh, yeah, and it was really bad when we were young, you know, calling each other blue canaries and all that kind of stuff. Well, you would call her that. Yeah, so I don't know if you've heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so they they've uh, both done well on the service side that's for sure and um right now she's pursuing her paralegal um certificate and uh, she'll, she's in the national guard in indiana and doing well and um uh, we'll see where her career path goes from there but yeah she outranks you now dude <laughs> <laughs> well, love to, you know, live and learn right <laughs> 
yeah. But uh, so it was different experiences for them um, being almost four years apart. Um, I, I remember, uh, not to put you on the spot, but at, you know, as you can imagine, uh, the funeral service was kind of a big deal and um, big wake. Lots of firefighters came through. I think there were about 300 who, who walked through. Um, and one of my, my girlfriends, she says, I think this is your Jackie O moment because, you know, you have to kind of be there with <laughs> you have this whole situation. Um, I will say, though, that as, as bad as it was there, I had time. You know, I had time to prepare for what was coming, um, unlike, you know, a, a line of duty death where it's, you know, very sudden. Um, so we had the community, we had the, the resources, but they'd never had um, an active duty death in the department before. So it was a lot of learning curve. Um, and wasn't he the head of the honor guard at that time? He was the head of their honor guard. He served in the honor guard with the IFF um, and with uh, out in Colorado. In fact, um, the Illinois, that, so the AFFI, um, he was a member of that honor guard as well. And um, when Lauren, your sister, was five weeks old, I went with them to, uh, he had a convention. And so I think it was in Springfield that year because they alternate them north and south. And so five weeks old, I'm dragging Lauren with me to, <laughs> you were there too, of course. But so we always did the honor guard conventions. We always did all of that. And um, so it was a big part of our lives. Yeah. And they actually served, I, I guess I'll add this too. So Lauren was a um, Girl Scout. And, and I was uh, involved with the Girl Scouting um, board and everything at the time. And in middle school, you can do what's called the Silver Award. And so some of the firefighters at Gurney um, sponsored her Silver Award, which was to learn how to run an honor guard. So they, she was the head of her little unit of Girl Scouts, and they learned how to march, and they learned how to do it all. And, and she took it a step further, too. She, so uh, she not only created the Fallen Firefighter uh, Honor Guard for Illinois, but then she went on and did a National Fallen Firefighter Honor Guard for their Girl Scouts, and that still exists today because of her. Yeah. So her gold award, which is the equivalent of an Eagle Scout, she got that in high school, and she created the Girl Scout Honor Guard for Fallen Firefighters. And so Jeff Bruno, who was the head of the Honor Guard yes. during that time, he um, took her under his wing and um, kind of sponsored her, and we went to the Springfield ceremonies, and she brought her Honor Guard with, and um, just fantastic mentoring of different people in the fire service over the years. So she still had her niche. Um, even though he's the one who ended up, you know, following dad's footsteps, but it was, um, yeah, can't say enough about the AFFI and the honor guard and, and all of them who were very supportive of us. So you guys have, you guys, um, gift help to other people. How, how do you guys come up upon those people that you want to help? Uh, does that come to you or do you guys go out and actively we're, Seek so these we're, out. we're actively searching um, all the time, whether it's through social media, through newspapers, through, you know, the fire department to fire department contact, um, especially. So we're only about three years of existence at this time. So and it uh, might help to, to kind of point out, actually, too. So I know you had asked, how did we hit upon this particular form of charity? Right around that time, we started to see the awareness of the increased rates of cancer in the fire service. And when we started hearing that data finally becoming public, we were like, that's what we can help with. Um, because back when 
Russ was diagnosed, I mean, thank you to his pension board that, that really did the research. Um, and um, in fact, the, the president of the pension board at the time is one of our board members now. He's our treasurer. He's retired now as the battalion chief. But he, um, they did their research. I think they ended up finding to support the um, pension claim. I think they had to go to Canada to find the, the research on brain cancer and the fires. Was it a fight to make this a line of duty? So it wasn't line of duty. It was active duty. Active duty. Mm-hmm. So um, we didn't get the benefits. As but that's a, that's a, a big distinction. Duty. It's huge. About benefits yeah. and stuff like that, right? Right. Because, for example, you know, there's a financial piece. And then there's also, um, you know, your kids can go to an Illinois school, for example, for free. And none of that applied. Um, so it was basically just, you know, the life insurance that we had. There was a workers' comp claim. Um, to be politically correct, I won't go into details, <laughs> but um, that was a bit more of a challenge. There yeah. were some issues there. Um, he was the only one up to that point. I mean, that was 2000. He passed away on November 9, 2009. And um, so there really wasn't a lot of experience with cancer deaths. And so um, there's a lot that's been learned since. Um, but that being said, um, there yeah, was There's only really been one study, and that was, uh, it was right after 9-11 from, it was uh, the IAFF did a study from 2002 to 2015, or no, I'm sorry, 2017. It was a 15-year study. Uh, New York, Chicago, and LA were the uh, three departments that they studied. And they found that 61% of all firefighter line of duty deaths were from were, were related to cancer, and then they did another study from t- 2017 to 2020. It then raised to 76 percent. So cancer in the fire service isn't going anywhere. It's actually becoming more and more of a problem. And um, you know, it has to do with obviously what's burning in houses these days. You know, it used to be in the 70s and 60s, and you know, it was all wool and wood that was burning. And as we know now, it's all plastics that burn hotter and faster and, you know, create more toxins. And that's all being absorbed into our skin and when we're breathing and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember, um, so Ryan and I talked about this too. So one of the things um, that we feel probably contributed to Russ's risk, because um, there was no other history of cancer or anything like that, um, you know, everybody was kind of trying to figure out how and why. Um, he was the quartermaster for 20 years. And so back then, he handled all the gear. He cleaned all the gear. His little office was in the gear room, which is probably no bigger than this room. And he sat in there with all the gear. So while you can't necessarily say a direct cause and effect, the exposure risk, not only what he was breathing, but touching, nobody knew back then. Right? I mean, they had no precautions. And nobody really then. washed their gear back then either. No, that was that was a point of pride. And I remember when, when Ryan got into the fire service, we had a really, you know, honest conversation that, um, you know, we don't know what the genetic vulnerability was or what made Russ be more at risk, but it was really important that he follow all the protocols. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny because years later, um, his best friend, Jim Pelletieri, they started at Gurney together. Um uh, Jim's battalion chief still to this day at Gurney, one of my greatest mentors, um, huge mentor to many, one of those just absolute, you know, leaders on the fire ground, knows uh, so much in the fire service, just went to classes and just unbelievable teacher. 
Um, but he told me years later, he's like, when we first got into the fire service and went to the fire academy together, we talked about possibly, you know, bottling the smoke smell and creating a cologne <laughs> out of it, you know, and we've gone from that to, you know, what it is today. And, uh, you know, even when I first got into the fire service, you know, cancer was slowly becoming, you know, a forefront and, but we still joked around, oh, you know, you, you have to have a salty helmet. You still, you know, same thing, you know, you got the cologne on type thing. So, uh, but yeah, this is all stuff that's really been changed over the last five to seven years. And, and the more we move forward, it's not just the carcinogens in the smoke. It's not just the soot on our gear. It's the chemical makeup of our gear. It's the AFFF foam that they're using uh, at the airports. Uh, it's the diesel exhaust uh, on the apparatus bay. Uh, we live in a garage every mm-hmm. three days. Um, you know, it's sitting in idle ambulances for hours at a time uh, at the hospitals. It's just a, a culmination of all these things. We're not sleeping the way we should be sleeping. And, you know, granted, that's part of the job. Uh, and, and amongst a whole bunch of other things, uh, that's all job related. Absolutely. And, you know, when you sign up to be a fireman, there's always that risk that you might die in a fire. But a lot of firemen, they don't sign up to, oh, I'm going to die of cancer. Oh, I'm going to lose the ability to speak. Oh, I'm going to lose the ability to read or walk or, you know, any of the other symptoms that cancer might cause. Um, we gifted to a 32-year-old firefighter uh, last year. And, uh, you know, he's got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, there's a tumor wrapped around his artery, and it's non-operable. He just had a kid, and he's got another kid on the way, and he's probably going to die in the next few years. And he's 32 years old. And that hit me harder than anything else because you know it it throws me back to when I was a 14 year old kid watching my dad barely be able to walk or barely be able to um, talk or anything like that and you know he used to be my idol you know we were talking about before yeah you know growing up in the fire service these are these guys that are unstoppable these are the guys that you know literally go into burning buildings and break down doors and save people's lives and then there's now my dad you know frail and uh, it hit me hard again thinking about it So, where's the name come from? Yes, good, good question. So, you know, I remember us sitting around the, the, the conference room table at Station One in Gurney, and we were all trying to think of, yeah, what's the name going to be? And um, so, Shield 23, 23 is his badge number. Mm-hmm. Yep, so that's where Did you get from. to keep that badge number? Uh, so I'm actually on a different fire department. It'd be cool if I could go back, but no, that's uh, somebody else is on my department now. Um, but uh, we do have uh, his shield up, or his, uh, yeah, his uh, fire shield up on uh, the wall. Uh, yeah, we sell it, yeah. <laughs> so kind of walk us through your career so far. Yeah, so... Uh, Following I, in your father's footsteps. Yeah, I knew I wanted to be a firefighter pretty young. Um, it's actually a funny story. My dad told me not to be a firefighter uh, when he was alive. I think I had that same conversation too. Yeah, so. he was like, uh, <laughs> "Go to college, use your brain." Blah, exactly. Blah, blah, blah. And I, I will quickly add into that too. So um, I'll jump ahead a little bit here for you. But our local high school districts combined to do a vocational school, and so they have a firefighter program. And you can talk about that. But when he was deciding whether or not to enroll in that program. I remember saying to him very clearly, whether you want to be a firefighter or not is up to you. You do not have to follow in your father's footsteps. Like, that is not the burden that you have to carry. But deep down, did you want him to not go? 
No, no, I was always okay with him being a fan. I knew it since he was three years old. Like, it <laughs> would have surprised me if he had not. But he had to figure that out. Yeah. Like, it always suited him. In fact, I remember us saying, what the hell is he going to do if he's not? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, one of those conversations. My dad sat me down, and uh, he said, um, you don't have to be a firefighter. I'd like you to go to school. And, you know, to be perfectly honest, I don't want you to be a firefighter. But if you do become a firefighter, you're not going to let me down. You're going to give 120%. <laughs> So that's what I did. Uh, my junior year of high school, I went to that vocationary program and I uh, took firefighting, instantly fell in love. It was one of the greatest jobs, greatest, you know, things are, uh, you know, being part of the brotherhood, being part of, you know, just riding along on a fire apparatus was one of the coolest things I've ever done. And uh, I was hooked immediately. And then my senior year, I ended up taking my EMT course. So I was fortunate enough to take my EMTB while, while I was actually still in high school. And then, um, but you couldn't sit for the test until you turned 18. Yeah, I couldn't sit. It's an August birthday, so I had to wait. <laughs> yeah, so I had, uh, you know, class ended about three months before I could actually take the test, which was it kind of sucked, but it is what it is. And then, uh, about halfway through my senior year, uh, my, one of my instructors, uh, he actually uh, ran a volunteer fire department uh, really close to the Lake Bluff, Lake Forest area. And uh, they were looking for volunteers and cadets to join the fire department is, you know, just to do miscellaneous stuff is like a ride along program, um, you know, to get ready for the fire service. So I went ahead and joined at 17 and started doing all the, you know, basic fire operations training and ended up catching my first fire right before my 18th birthday <laughs> while I was still in uh, when I was still in high school. So uh, that was uh, pretty interesting. Hey guys, uh, you know what? We're just gonna talk a minute about this awesome beer we've been drinking from Illuminate Brew Works. Um, right now, I'm I'm drinking Trust, and uh, this thing is it's just a really good lager. Um, we're going, we're kind of running the gauntlet here. We got some uh, we got some awesome beer here, so we're just running through each one of them. Uh, I tried Vince. You tried that Orange Sunshine too, right? Orange Sunshine is my new favorite summer beer. Yeah. Thanks to Brian at Illuminated Brew Works. If you guys are looking for an amazing craft beer, and, you know, I'm not a big craft beer guy, and I was a little hesitant, and then when we started popping yeah. these things open, uh, it was like Christmas. Yeah, we, we've been firing pretty good on we, these things. We, <laughs> we, we've been going through these yeah. like so, crazy. Bar Chicago's Bravest Stories is doing all right over here. Right. Well, the Illuminated Brew Works beer has saved us from drinking all the whiskey that we have here because... Uh, We've been drinking more beer than we have whiskey. It might not even it. be whiskey guys anymore. Yeah. Um, and uh, that Creeper one was pretty good too, right? Once Creeper was it. good. And we're fresh out of astronaut juice. In yeah, there. if we had astronaut juice, that is my top one uh, from these guys. If you're looking for an amazing craft beer, you can find it at Benny's Norwood Park Wine and Spirits Beer Temple, which is right down the street here from the studio. So if you're uh, picking up some Illuminated Brew Works at Beer Temple, stop in, have a drink with us. Bottle and cans, uh, Capones, Totos, and Ryan's, Rayans, R-A-Y-A-N-S. Yeah, these are all bars they're selling in. And uh, you guys would notice it for sure once you walk in because they've got some really cool artwork on each of their cans. Um, so, again, just, just look for the, the eye-popping uh, artwork that you're going to see, and they'll kind of lead you over it. Again, this is Illuminated Brew Works. Make sure to check out anything that they've made so far because everything I've tried has been awesome. Oh, it, it's really good. If you go to uh, that place, Wine Styles, at 6182 North Northwest Highway, you can pick it up 
And coincidentally, that is right next door to where the new brew pub is going to be. Illuminated Brew Works is opening up a brew pub at 6186 North Northwest Highway. It's going to be amazing. The beer is amazing. And we are also asked to mention that the new Brony is coming back out. It's a double hop IPA. So for you IPA guys, the Brony is coming back. But the the beers that he has in stock right now are amazing. Uh, Illuminated Brew Works. Thanks, Brian, again for uh, you know keeping us in beer here. And you know when our guests come in and stuff like that, we give it to them as well. And we've heard nothing but great things from uh, our guests who've uh, walked out of here with a four pack of uh, Illuminated Brew Works. Thanks, guys. Again, make sure to check them out. Illuminated Brew Works. We don't want to gloss over this because this is something that we talk about on this podcast quite often is, are you going to, let's consider that your first fire, right? Yeah, it's my first fire. Yeah. Okay. So I was up on the stick for about six hours. So uh, we ended up getting toned out around midnight, you know, it was, you know, school day. So (laughs) I just happened to be at the firehouse (laughs) and, you know, just hanging around and, you know. You're going to name the department? uh, Yeah. So I worked on the Nolwood Fire Department. It was a volunteer fire department. Uh, they actually just closed down in 2018. Shout uh, out, though. Nolwood was... Yeah. Nolwood okay. was, uh, you know, they sent me to the fire academy. They sent me through paramedic school. If it wasn't for the Nolwood Fire Department, I wouldn't be where I am. And uh, so I just happened to be hanging out with the guys. And, uh, you know, I wasn't on shift or anything. But uh, they ended up catching a fire. It was a, a large mansion that had caught fire in Lake Forest. And uh, we ended up being the second truck in. And... Uh, I happened to be the guy that was ready to go up the stick. So I ended up being on the stick for about, I want to say four or five hours, uh, doing a surrounded round on this mansion fire. And you hadn't gone through the academy at that time? I had not, no. <laughs> Get up there, kid. I, lo- I love it. <laughs> yep. These are the best stories. Yeah. You want me to do what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I had done the training at the firehouse, but uh, yeah, it was a pretty surreal moment. You know, I and, just, and you're 17? 17 years old. I, Th- I turned awesome. and looked at the guy and I was like, you do know this is the real deal, right? <laughs> <laughs> this isn't, you know, I'm not like shooting at the ground or anything. Like there's actual flames there. <laughs> That's awesome. So, and then I ended up going to school the next morning, just covered in soot. <laughs> well, you were telling a story before we turned the microphone off that you didn't want to wash that smell. No, I off didn't. Of you. No, no. It was just, uh, you know, my first fire and, uh, you know, we didn't really learn about all this cancer stuff yet. And, you know, it was just a sense of pride. And a lot of firefighters hold that same sense of pride where, you know, you got a good stop on a fire or, you know, um, you saved a person or you got a rescue. You know, it's, you know, a prideful moment. You know, you you get sent to do a job for a reason and it's exciting to actually fulfill and do the job that you were asked to do. And where did you go to the academy? I went through NIPSTA. NIPSTA? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what year did you graduate? Uh, 2014. And how, how emotional was that graduation for you, Mom? It, yeah, it's um, been interesting because um, since his dad and I knew each other since high school, I saw his dad go through all of it, too. And so to see Ryan going through the academy, you know, of course, you know, he was still young enough. The first phone call he made was to Mom after that fire. <laughs> I was very proud of him. always have been. Um he, he has learned over the years, too, that um, I, 
probably knew more about the, the fire service and different things than he did at certain <laughs> points, you know. And he would say, he'd be telling me about a call, and I'd be like, uh-huh, and I'd say something. He'd be like, oh, yeah, you know that, don't you? <laughs> I'll tell you right now, this is the strongest woman I've ever met right beside me oh, right here. Stop. <laughs> well, so if we fast forward a few years, um, in 2019, there was uh, anhydrous ammonia leak um, up in Beach Park. And uh, we were probably the third or fourth uh, apparatus there. But who, yeah, who were you working with? I was working with Newport at the time. And uh, there was, uh, like I said, there was an anhydrous ammonia leak. There wasn't really any identification. We just knew that there was a hazardous material leak. We didn't know what it was. Um, And we were trying to essentially push it into a nearby golf course because there were, um, you know, it was a high residential area right by. And we were trying to push the, all the anhydrous ammonia or the, you know, it was essentially just a fog. We, it was unidentif- unidentified well, I was going to say, when you showed up on the scene, because it got called in as a car accident yeah. on Country Road. Yeah, it was originally called in as a car fire. So we were going like, okay, it was four in the morning. We're going for a nice, easy mop up on a car fire. And then we are told to stage. And we're like, okay, that's weird. You don't stage on a car fire. Well, you sent the cops in first, right? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> they were actually... Uh, cr- Credit to them. They ran in and uh, grabbed the truck driver out of the vehicle and uh, were able to take him to safety. Um, uh, yeah, the Lake County Sheriff's, they did an excellent job. They ran in, grabbed him really quick, and then got him to safety. Um, meanwhile, I was staged. Uh, we were downwind, didn't realize that at, that at the time, and uh, I ended up getting exposed to anhydrous ammonia. Uh, so bad so that it was only about a minute and 30 seconds of breathing it in. I knew it was bad immediately because I could taste the chemicals, and uh, we threw on air packs in the rigs. You know, I threw the my air pack on because I was the engineer at the time. I threw it on the doghouse and <laughs> just was breathing air at, in the driver's seat, and uh, we ended up backing out. And then uh, about four hours go by, and all of a sudden I start having a really sore throat, and things are starting to swell up. And well, a lot of people had already been sent to the hospital. Yeah, there were. I think six civilians that had previously already been intubated. And at the time, uh, you know, I was like, you know, coughing and I didn't want to go to the hospital. I, you know, I was just like, oh, you know what? I'm just thirsty. And, uh, you know, we go to rehab and uh, they could smell the anhydrous ammonia off gassing off of me. And that's when they sent me to the hospital immediately. And I ended up getting intubated for 24 hours. So this is the Jeez. mom part. Yeah. So because, you know, he's not married yet. So guess who's his first call contact it better have been con. mom yeah so I'm that's at all work. i have to say yeah now we all <laughs> were seeing this on the news since like five o'clock in the morning and i knew he was on duty so i knew he was there and i had already texted him i said hey are you on that seat oh yeah i'm fine i'm good i'm like okay off to work i go i'm at work and um i get a phone call from this guy that was just says, a text message Oh, that's right. It was the text message. Yeah. Sends me a text message. Said, "Well, I'm I'm actually at the hospital now." And and the next text message, I think, said, "I think they're going to have to intubate me." And I'm like, "Shit!" <laughs> I was like, "Wait a minute." <laughs> yeah, I didn't have any notice. It was the ER literally just picked me up, threw a, you know 18 gauge IV in me, and I was out. That's all I remember. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm -hmm. I have to at least tell somebody I'm here. Yeah. (laughs) So this is where one of those funny things where I guess, yes, my experience as a fire wife and a fire mom was um, I ended up calling John, one of our board members and, and our retired battalion chief. And I called him and I said, you know, you know what's going on, right? Because 
you all still talk to each other. <laughs> so I said, you know, I think Ryan is at the hospital. I said, can you find out what's going on? And so he did. And then um, one of the lieutenants from his department called. And I will say, to his credit, they were apologizing all over the place because in the midst of the chaos, they didn't realize nobody had called me yet. <laughs> so, but I was already on my way to the hospital by the time they got a hold of me because I knew what the protocols were. So it did kind of come in handy. So um, ended up being there, and, you know, sure enough, the chief is there and everybody's there. So he was already innovated by that point. So we're in his room. They evacuated the ER because so many of the victims, because I think one of the police officers... Um, no, there wasn't any. It was, uh, I was the only first responder that ended up getting intubated. Yeah, but but, uh, ever, but there were a few people yeah, admitted. Yeah, there, there were six other civilians that were uh, intubated yeah. as well. And, but something uh, we about all, the fumes in the ER were You guys are just so all off-gassing anhydrous yeah. ammonia. Yeah. Anybody decan you before they brought uh, you in? Nope. Yeah, so... All their gear was out in the wherever. <laughs> and so we get evacuated to the cafeteria until they got that all figured out so he was um in a bay for 24 hours and um i think you were in the hospital for another day or two after yeah, that i got i got really lucky um i ended up seeing the lung doctor the pulmonologist and they said in the very beginning uh you know you're very lucky to be breathing right now your alveoli crystallized when we first took your first ex uh, chest x-ray and that scared the crap out of me and then now luckily I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> and then uh, they said they were able to reverse most of it. And then six months later, it was all clear. So I'm uh, good to go after that. Yeah. So yeah, but it was, I, I, I did chew them out afterwards about, I did not want to be sitting in a hospital again with another firefighter issue. So don't yeah. do that again. <laughs> but to, you know, circle back, you know, that was another reason that we wanted to start this foundation was because I was hurt. My dad was hurt. And the fire service really came together and not only helped my dad, my family, but then also me personally as well. And, you know, it was one of the biggest reasons that we wanted to really push forward and raise funds for firefighters because we give as much as we can, you know, to our communities, to, you know, our brothers and sisters that are working with us. And we never ask for help ourselves. Um, we have yet to have one firefighter actually come out and reach out to us that themselves that they need help they won't exactly they, they won't. won't so but their friends will hopefully their colleagues will yes and that's kind of the, the push that we do and um you know we are unfortunately or fortunately as a family the three of us you know uniquely experienced with that part of it and and as a spouse um as a widow um it's something that we know it's not easy to ask i didn't ask you know, your father definitely didn't ask. Um, you know, that, that was embarrassing in many ways to have to show that he couldn't support the family and um, what I had to do. In fact, there was one point, um, um, there was a, a chemo drug at the time, which has now been FDA approved. He was put into a, a clinical trial. And um, at one point, the clinical trial was finally approved for his kind of cancer, and it still used that drug. But... Um, the FDA, once it approved, his health insurance did not honor the FDA approval. And so the drug that he was on was about 20 grand a dose every other week. So at one point, we had a bill, um, the medical bills from Northwestern, fantastic place, by the way. Um, there was almost a half a million dollar bill for this medication. Dang. I didn't tell Russ. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, because he would have quit. He would have quit the treatment. Well, they wouldn't approve it because it was still in clinical trial, right? But then it was approved. The FDA did approve it, but his health insurance still wouldn't. So what ended up happening um, is that the drug company and Northwestern had a special, what they called a drug replacement program. Um, but it took probably, oh gosh, it was less than a year after he had passed, but every time the drug company would send in a new shipment to Northwestern, they'd subtract it off my bill. Um, oh, that was nice. But it, it was never zeroed out. That's the other lesson, by the way, that people don't realize is that even after um, your loved one passes away, you are still on the hook for the medical debt. And so the life insurance, thankfully, we had some, but in hindsight, not enough. I couldn't pay off the house. Um, and I had to pay off the medical bills. So the medical bills took quite a chunk still. So that's one of the things you have to kind of keep in mind that you still have to pay those bills. Yeah, so not only do you get kicked off the health insurance, you know, uh, medical bills go back to the family afterwards. You know, there's the uh, finances just keep stacking up against you when you're in this case. And, you know, you talked about before where firefighters are typically the breadwinners. And uh, if you can't be on the health insurance, you know, if you don't have, uh, uh, I forget how many years it is to get vested in the pension. Is it seven? Uh, it depends on which article you belong to. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I believe it's, I, th- I believe it's seven uh, years. In- so if you are a young firefighter, you know, I'm 26 years old. And if I develop cancer tomorrow, I've only been paying into my pension for a certain amount of years. It hasn't been seven yet. So therefore, I'm not even getting a pension if I die of cancer. And there's only three or four presumptive cancers that uh, the pensioner uh, will approve. So if you have, you know, skin cancer or, you know, in my dad's case, brain cancer, you're not covered at all. So we uh, were very fortunate that our pension board was just able to fight the battle for us. Um, there was a Buffalo Grove firefighter that passed away, and uh, I believe the family ended up, uh, was it? I think it was like $250,000 in legal fees just to get his pension. And they were able to win the fight, but at what cost? You know. So. And there were politicians, not even from the area, that were fighting against it. Absolutely. And making comments in the local newspapers the Sun-Times and the Tribune. so and, and it's unfortunate, I will say also as a widow myself, that it, you know when you have to get your personal and family business out there in the public, that's not nice. I, I was lucky I did not have to deal with that. Um, but there's also some tension, I think, because there are families um, where it's not uniform across. You know, some, maybe if your pension board can get this, then they can get this for you, but maybe the other family in the next town over doesn't. And so it, it creates some tension, you know, who gets it qualified as an LOD death and who gets it as an active duty. So there's, you know, there's some unfortunate things that happen because of politics and whatnot. And, of course, the pension board is only one piece of it. The other piece is the workers' comp issues. Um, and and that's, um, <laughs> that, that was a little more... Yeah, you might as well tell that story. I guess I might as well. Um, so I was sitting... Um, Maybe not everybody understands this, but with a workers' comp claim, if you die before the claim is is resolved, um, you don't get anything. It it closes the case. And so, of course, um, you have your attorney, and the village or the municipality has their attorneys, and the bean counters, and everybody wants to debate, you know, how much do you get in the workers' comp? And um, I was literally, uh, they had not closed the case, so it was not resolved. And so I was sitting in the parking lot of the uh, florist 
getting with my mom, waiting to get the flowers for the funeral service. And I get a call from my attorney who says they're willing to offer you um, half of the original amount because technically it now was zero. I won't repeat the language I used at the time. My mom was looking at me like, what is going on? Um, So it's just very unfortunate, um, some of that that happens. I get it. I respect it's a process. Um, You know, everybody's just doing their job. But when you're in the middle of it and you're now a widow and they're quibbling over this or that, and that was for my kids. Right. I I was working. It wasn't really about me at that point. It was about the the kids and their future. And, um, you know, so that kind of stuff is what happens behind the scenes when you're in the middle literally of trying to, do all the plans and the arrangements, and that stuff is still, you know, feels gamey at the time. Well, it's hard to not yeah. take that personally. It's hard not to. Yeah. I mean, I know it was business, but, it, you know, it's like, really, now? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, granted, that was um, 12 years ago now, and but more and more cases are going more public. And, and so um, I didn't talk about that for a long, long time, but it's something that... Um, People just need to be aware, and, and maybe even somebody like Ryan, who's not married, he doesn't have a family yet, he doesn't have kids yet, but even the young firefighters, I think, are exposed because they don't get talked to about, you know, life insurance and their health insurance and making sure you have things, you know, because of what he does for a living, also because of what my daughter does and being in the military. Um, one of the things I learned, they both had wills the year they turned 18. I had them marched in to the attorney, <laughs> you know, and I've had friends who are like, your kids have wills at 18. I'm like, oh, yeah, they do. I, I sat with him, and he did it. And, and what was that like for you to do that will and estate planning and all of that? <laughs> it was a lot to think about, that's for sure. Big decisions, yeah. So what other advice if somebody who's listening is kind of going through the same process? Like what lessons had you learned through your process that you could pass on that would help people stay ahead of this? Well, first things first, reach yeah. out to us because uh, <laughs> good. We, good, we, good plug. Yeah, we good. can. Uh, and we can where help you. can they reach you guys? Uh, you can reach us a couple different ways. Uh, we're on all social medias. Uh, you can, if you don't feel like you know sending a formal email, you, you can message us on any of the platforms. Uh, we also have a website at www.shield23foundation.org. Um, you can reach us there. We have plenty of information throughout the entire website. Uh, We're really excited about the website. That's um, It's a brand new website in the last year. In the middle of COVID, we kind of got some infrastructure um, time to get things cleaned up. It's, it's wonderful. Um, we're really proud of it. But um, all the information about what we do, you can ask. So we call it a gifting um, for um, when funds are, are gifted to a firefighter in need. Um, you know, there was a lot of debate in the beginning. Do we call it a grant? Do we call it an application? And and I was like, no, this is a gift. You don't have to apply. You don't have to. The only two requirements that we have, we have a two-page form. Um, obviously, we have to, you know, the IRS and other legal bodies want to make sure you're legit. So we have certain regulations we have to follow. But the only two requirements we have is... Um, just show proof that you're active on a roster, you know, that you're working for a department. And um, we have not at this time ex- um, kind of expanded into retired firefighters just because we're trying to manage, you know, volume sure. and whatnot. Um, and then the other piece is just some note from a physician verifying the diagnosis. And um, but we we're currently open to uh, gifting yeah. southeastern Wisconsin, all of Illinois. 
Um, and we're trying to help as many firefighters as we possibly can. How many firefighters are you currently helping at the moment? Uh, we've gifted to eight, eight, eight so, so far. far. In about a year and a half, because our first year we didn't do any, just as we were trying to get everything started and fundraising in the beginning. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we definitely, I, I would say our average gifting amount is around 2300 Um Yes, we try to keep the number 23 in everything that we do. <laughs> yeah, but it's all on a case-to-case basis. Um, we review, uh, you know, those uh, things that we ask for. Uh, we want to make sure that, you know, whether it's a single firefighter or a firefighter with eight kids, um, they're helped in the right way. Yeah. So it's very custom. So I'm the chair of the gifting committee, and uh, Ryan and Lauren are both on that committee as well. And um, so we review it and just make sure that we match whatever the need is. And the funds, it's literally a check. So the funds are used for whatever they need, transportation, to pay the bills, to, you know, a lot of the guys when they're first diagnosed, the first thing that they lose is their part-time job work and their overtime. So they're trying to cover that lost income. Um, You know, we've had some who have kids already in college and we've Mm -hmm. had some where, you know, there's another baby on the way. Um, it's Yeah, the biggest yeah. thing that I can think about, too, is the transportation factor. You know, with my dad having brain cancer, um, you know, he wasn't able to drive down to the city every day. So what happened was either he got driven by a buddy or if there was nobody available, he got sent on a train. And Well, when, I always did that with him. We did the train every other week, yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was one of those things where you have to have money for train tickets. You have to have money for gas or... Ubers or, or anything else. eating in the cafeteria in the hospital. Yeah. I mean, it's just all those little costs add up. And, um, I, you know, even now, um, one of my uh, best high school friends, actually, she introduced Russ and I back in high school. Um, she unfortunately passed away from cancer um, right around Christmas this past year. And, it, you know, people will say, okay, you've kind of been through this, so what's the tip if somebody's going through it? And, you know, gift cards. I know that sounds kind of funny, but um, just being able to, to walk in and get what you need somewhere without having to worry about how much money is in the bank account. Um, you know, being able to get meals. Um, you know, I think Lauren reminded me once af- after their dad passed away, she said, um, I don't think you cooked for probably a few weeks. <laughs> <No>? <laughs> it was those gift cards, you know, okay, carry out from here, carry out from there. So, and the biggest thing that we can ask is, um, you know, it's, it's very hard for firefighters to reach out. One of my really close friends on a neighboring department, uh, me, um, I worked with him for probably three or four years before getting my full-time position. And uh, he came down with cancer. And he sent me a text message. He said, you know, I don't want your help from your foundation, but I just want to let you know that I'm going through some really hard times. And he just needed somebody to talk to. And then eventually uh, he did come on hard times and we were able to give to one of my really close buddies. So one of the things that I've kind of learned, you know, one of my roles, I think right now with the foundation is um, the personal piece, you know, the, the emails back and forth. I think it was that individual I ended up because Ryan gave me a heads up and say, hey, he's being a little, little shy about this. So I send off the email and I do my whole spiel you know it's like hey we've been there we know that it's hard to ask it's hard to receive you don't want to feel like you're a charity case which is why we call it a gift you know this is our gift we benefited from the people around us who 
saved us and, and helped us keep the house and um, be able to do the things and get my kids through what they're doing. And um, so we made it through. And this is our way of kind of paying that back and paying it forward. And I will admit it's emotional. We do the giftings in person, even with COVID. We went to a few, you know, we're all in mass and you could see the photos are all on the website. My daughter is actually the editor and manager of the website. She does a great job. And, you know, all of our giftings that we've done, um, it's emotional. I, you know, I keep telling myself it's been 12 years, so why do I keep getting choked up when I have to tell the story? <laughs> well, but it's, it's not just for the firefighter either. The biggest thing that we've learned is when we're going to all these different firehouses is that it's for the firefighters as well. It's for the whole fire department and not just for the one firefighter. Um, that's one of the biggest things is, you know, it's our second family, truly. And, you know, you feel that every single time you walk into a new firehouse trying to help a firefighter. Um, you know, it, it's emotional everywhere you go. How can people donate to your foundation so that you guys can continue gifting? So we have uh, three main ways that you can donate to us. Um, we have, you can run a fundraiser on Facebook. I know, you, I'm sure you've seen it, uh, the birthday fundraisers. Uh, you can search us, the Shield 23 Foundation on uh, that, and you can do a birthday fundraiser for us. Uh, that was one of the easiest ways for people just to, you know, have a fundraiser on social media or on Facebook in order to raise, you know, funds for, you know, something that you know directly goes to a firefighter. 100% of our proceeds goes towards firefighters. Not a single one of us on our board or any of our volunteers gets paid. Every single uh, um, you know penny that's raised gets uh, sent to a firefighter. Um, well, after organization. Yeah, after. Yeah, after you know. uh, <laughs> we have to support the organization. Correct. Yeah. Um, and then uh, other ways are we run, we're starting to run fundraisers again. We couldn't run any fundraisers last year during COVID, um, especially with high-risk firefighters having cancer. You mm -hmm. know, it's not the right area for them, them to be. Um, but we're starting to run fundraisers again. So you can come to one of our fundraisers. We're actually going to be having a 23-mile bike ride from the Great Lakes Naval Station. A what ride? Uh, a bicycle <laughs> ride, yeah. A bicycle ride, Vince. I, I've been riding a bike so much, I, I don't even want to hear the word bike ride anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Russ was actually on the bike detail for the department. Oh, he was? He was a paramedic on, on the bikes. So yep. that's a new program. So that's kind of how that idea germinated as well. Yeah, it's going to be uh, from the Great Lakes Naval Station to Evanston, and it's going to end at the Firehouse uh, Grill. Um, down in Evanston, uh, right by Evanston Station, too. So, what's the date? Uh, it's going to be on uh, September 25th. Saturday, the 25th. Okay. Yeah, we, you, we will uh, give you help with putting that out there for you guys. Well, thank you very much. If they find you guys on social media, they can just also do, just do charitable donations. That's and correct. Stuff and like then that. you can also send a donation um, directly to our website, like I said before, uh, shield23foundation.org. And then we also have merchandise for sale. Um, oh, Vince loves merch. Oh, yeah. We, he, Ryan is, uh, you know, don't sell yourself short. Ryan is the merchandise guru. He handles all of that. Yeah. It's, uh, and that's I, all I on your social media, too? It where is, they get, yes. Like a, they could get a shirt like you guys have on today? Yeah. Absolutely. You can get hats, shirts, tumblers. We have all types of stuff. That hat is cool, man. Thank he, you. He yeah, came up with good. that one, too. He designed that also. Vince is going to have to cool. get himself one of them hats. Well, I want to make a donation right now that... If Steve can pronounce the diagnosis, oh. then I will give you guys $100 right here. Oh, you got to say it for him. You uh, want me to say it first? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I think out of Goodwill, you were just going to give the $100. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I was going to give it anyway, but I wanted to throw you onto the bus a little ba- bit. Listen, I ride backwards <laughs> on a fire engine. It's not happening. It's okay. I can't pronounce it either. <laughs> Oligodendroglioma. Oh, you didn't even take a shot at I that. I can't. I can't. <laughs> well, I, I yeah. promise I will make that donation. Uh, anything else that you guys want to get out any give out again one more time how these guys can help you and give out the dates and uh how they can sign up for this uh I fundraiser think, that I you think guys our got biggest push right now and this may sound strange but is getting the word out that we have funds to gift um these things go in waves not that we want anybody diagnosed with cancer but we know that firefighters have cancer and they're out there and they're working and um, they're tr- either they're on leave or they're still, you know, going back to work. Um, one of the, the new goals that I have for the upcoming year is we're starting a peer program. Um, so if uh, firefighters with cancer can kind of support each other and also the spouses, significant others, the families. So Ryan came up with a cool new name for that. What's our new phrase for our peer program? Yeah, it's going to be the PAR program. You know, do you have PAR? Very similar to making sure that everybody's safe. So. Mm-hmm. so peer assistance and resources program. Oh, okay. So we have that. So um, we're getting that up and going. Um, but I would say right now, just we have funds to give, which even in a crazy COVID year, um, we have received some really generous giftings and donations ourselves and um, to the organization. So any, any shout outs for donors? Uh, any, do you guys have any yeah. corporate donors our, that you want to give a shout out to? Well, our oh, biggest big donation uh, is actually through Mission Barbecue. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So Mission Barbecue, they yeah. started. Vin, the, Vince loves barbecue. Oh, <laughs> they're it, great. It, they're unbelievable uh, corporation. They started. Uh, they were our seed money. Yeah. So they, they started in the East Coast and they're slowly growing out here. Um, yeah. Th- they're an amazing barbecue. Every day at noon, they play the national anthem. And uh, their biggest goal is to give out as many, as much funds as they can to first responders. So they have three charitable missions. So they do first responders, police, fire, and then um, military. And so in the towns that they're affiliated with that they have stores in, they match up with the organizations that are local. So they picked us as the fire charity. So um, when they raise the cups funds yeah, and they just do other in, things. Just mm-hmm. in this local Mission Barbecue, they've raised probably $20,000 just for us. So we're going to have to start eating a lot of Mission Barbecue, I guess. Well, we have a, a cause. Yeah. I, well, listen, I don't skip meals if anybody's noticed. So we have, we have a new cause. <laughs> so as strange as it sounds, just um, getting the word out to departments that if, you know, one of your fellow uh, brother or sister firefighters has been diagnosed with cancer, um, please reach out to us. Um, you can do it through the website. All the information is there. There's a special tab for giftings and um uh, we monitor that, and we would be happy to be able to help with a gifting. We also help if there's individual fundraisers, because, of course, a lot of departments will do their own, and we are happy to take their fundraising information and bounce it off of our social media and help them out with that, too. Okay, so let's say I got a friend at home mm-hmm. or f- on the department, and he's got cancer. He don't want any help. I can just come to you, right? Yes. And you guys can, you know... Just show up. Yeah. So uh, Ryan, we don't have to do yeah. in-person giftings. If they don't want to be, you know. The center of attention. The center of attention. Uh, the way the giftings work is it's through a, a fellow brother firefighter or sister firefighter. They can come to us, uh, fill out the information. Um, you know, they just have to prove that they're on a fire department and that they're receiving treatment. And then we can just write them a check and nobody needs to know about it. 
Although I will say, um, eventually, all, all eight that we've gifted to so far, plus we have a couple where we've re-gifted. So if there's circumstances, you know, kind of are dragging on and things are not improving or whatever the circumstances are, they can come back to us. So it's not a one-off. Um, we can adjust the funds. We can gift more if, if they need it. So we, we always say that we are with them throughout the entire journey, um, wh however that may turn out. Mm -hmm. um, so what if you really, so one of my pranks used to be when I was a kid was, Every time we went to a restaurant, I would tell the servers that one of my guys at the place, it was his birthday, and I wanted to make a spectacle of it. So, like, what if we require you guys to have to make a big deal, put on a really big, silly show, big, big, goofy check, maybe? Um, I, uh, so I was kind of, I was going to, I guess, maybe to lighten the mood a little bit. Um, was Russ, Russ a prankster at all or no? Actually, yeah. Well, the <laughs> All right. So um, there's a couple really interesting stories. So my dad loved chocolate. Oh, yes. That was his biggest thing. So the guys would always screw around with his chocolate. And uh, so every day he had at least one Hershey somewhere in the fire department that he would hide so that the guys couldn't find it from the, In case of emergency break exactly. this That's like Vince. He hides whiskey all over the studio. Just, <laughs> you know. In fire station. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, one time, uh, one of the guys uh, he found the chocolate and put it in his pants that he was just about to throw in the dryer. Oh, dang. And uh, it melted everywhere, all over his pants and everything. Of and, course, uh, he was the quartermaster, so guess who had to clean up the dryer? <laughs> <Yeah>. oh. <laughs> So that was a good one. Uh, some of the other things that, you know, that actually this one's really weird. I don't know why they did this, but. Um, they're all they're all really weird. Yeah. <laughs> they had a competition to see who could last longest in a dryer while it's tumbling without the heat. <laughs> <laughs> the weirdest thing that I have ever heard of on a fire department, just to show that you're a man. Did, you, did your dad win? <laughs> no, he didn't. But I don't even want to know who won. Because that guy's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we cer we certainly aren't advocating that, but I'm dying to find out who won. Oh, I'll yeah, we gotta find we gotta find out who we won. gotta find that All winner right. and yeah. have okay. and bring him on the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, this cause is super important and it hits home to a lot of people. And you can reach out to Shield Twenty Three. Uh, just Google it, go to their social media, uh, send some money their, their way because it could be coming back to you at some point. You never know. Like it kind of came out of the blue for you guys and you might need that help as well. So uh, Shield 23 and um, we, let us know about the, uh, uh, what else, what other help you need. Uh, let us know when you get this uh, uh, peer support going and we'll kind of, well, let's put, push a, that let's put them on the spot right now because we're itching to do a party fundraiser for the last year. Oh, <laughs> let's put them on the spot right now. See if they, you know, we can get something going with with uh, with their foundation. Yeah, that sounds we, great. We, we would love to throw a party. Yeah, we are very lucky that um, we've had a number of benefits that are you know held in our honor. You have there's two events coming up. You want to talk about? Yeah. Those? So if you live up in the Lake County or Kenosha County region, uh, Wilmot Raceway is actually going to be holding a first responder night and cornhole on July 24th. Cornhole was Vince's college nickname. <laughs> <laughs> we won't ask. <laughs> so well yeah, done, so Steve. they're so they're going to be um, benefiting us with the funds, right? 
phrase. That's absolutely right. And actual, uh, if you can prove that you're a first responder, you actually get in for free. So you get to watch a race for free, which is pretty cool. And then the other event? And then, uh, yeah, uh, like I said before, the other big event that we're going to be putting on uh, is the 23-mile bike ride uh, from the Great Lakes Naval Station down to uh, Evanston. And we have to give a huge uh, shout-out to the Evanston Fire Department and their union. Uh, They did a great job uh, getting the word out there and helping uh, us out. And that's actually one other really good point. So we are a membership-based organization, and so with membership comes certain perks. And so um, we have what's called a fire service group membership level. So a union or a department can register to become a group member. So they do the, it's $23 for the basic membership, of course. Per person. um, (laughs) Per person. And so for each member in the union or on the department, they do a single check that covers all of them. Um, one of the benefits to doing it that way is, um, heaven forbid, but if someone does lose their battle with cancer, then there's a death benefit that we pay out as well. Okay. Well, we know a couple of union guys, <laughs> Yeah. they kind of frequent the podcast studio. So we're going to yeah. pass that information along. We're going to jump all over those guys for you. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise everything's on, on the website. You could see all our history. You could see all the events and the giftings that we've done to date. Um, we just, uh, since now, finally, we can have events again and activities. We got our calendar up there. So we're, we're, we're looking forward to really being able to, to build things. And I know 2023, we're going to have to really do something special. Well, you guys are <laughs> going to pass all that information along to us uh, again, and we're going to have it available on our social media for, for our Chicago's Bravest uh, podcast listeners to, to see. Um, and, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, sh- we'll be sharing all that stuff, too. We thank you for your support. Oh. This was wonderful when Ryan told me about this. I'm like, cool. And we just, um, you know, we, we're here for other families, other firefighters. So we're glad you guys are doing this. Thank you. Yeah, the thank fire service paid it uh, to us. We want to pay it back to the rest of you. So uh, thank you very much for having us. Well, thank you guys for coming in. Thanks again. And uh, like I said, uh, reach out to these guys and we'll see you on the next Chicago's Bravest Stories. The opinions and views are that of Chicago's Bravest Stories podcast and their guests. They do not necessarily reflect the views of any municipal governments, fire protection districts, fire departments, EMS, or law enforcement organizations.